2: The sky's so blue, the birds are singing, I got nothing to do, hey, 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 hey,
3: mm-hmm. it's a sunny day, sunny day. And, uh, my pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare,
2: but call me illogical, I just don't care, hey hey. hey, 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 it's just a sunny day, hey, 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 it's a sunny day. KSL Greenhouse, expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Metis on KSL News Radio. Normally it would be Maria Chaleos, but I just uh, saw one of her posts on Facebook and she's actually uh, enjoying the view in Venice, Italy, right now. So. Well, did you grab the wrong headset? We've got too many on the go. table, I actually. think I'm back. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, Ike's going to disconnect that one for me. So That's I all quit. right. Yeah. Yeah. So um – Maria is probably not paying a whole lot of attention to us. I hope not. Uh, I hope not. That's too. one of
2: the reasons for going on vacation. But I do hope everyone else that's listening today is paying close attention because it is not just a picture perfect day, uh, day weather wise, but the hidden garden tour will uh, get off and running at 10 o'clock this morning uh, through 6 o'clock tonight. We're at one of those stops, and I hope it is uh, a must for everybody to come see. We're at the research garden for Olson's Greenhouse in santa quina 350 west 200 south brian lloyd is here with us again people don't get this opportunity
1: good morning guys this is an amazing opportunity because it's behind the scenes we're pulling the curtain back normally we're not open to the public in our trial gardens we use these for ourselves to bring new varieties here from around the world to utah to try them in our climate but we don't normally have this set up to share with the public but
2: today we do, just for the Hidden Garden Tour. Well, people get a real sense, and we've, we've talked about this before when we've had you on from a Home Depot or something, that one of the reasons I always look for Olson's uh, flowers is because of the very reason you're talking about. You know when you get them home, you're going to have the best chance of actually making them thrive because they were grown here. Right. What's the point
1: of a great new flower color if it's going to die in a couple of weeks because of our high light, our low humidity? You know, these are unique situations we have here in Utah that the breeder may not have been thinking about
2: when he bred that petunia yeah. or whatever color they bred. And it's that research and breeding that I was going to just let you guys yeah. chat for a minute, because that's there's a lot more to it, I think, there, than people think.
4: There is, and I'll let Brian jump in, but we'll, we'll take petunia, for example. Mm-hmm. Petunia is native to South America, tropical areas. They're pretty, but they look pretty dumpy as far as if you tried to put right. something straight out of the forest into a pot. And so I was going to see if you would take the time and just take us from that form to modern varieties and why, even though flowers in the 70s or 80s were pretty, we continually breed them and the advantages to doing that.
1: Right. What happens is the, a breeder will find different varieties and mix them together. Different, uh, not different species, sometimes different species. We have mixes of species that are done as well. But they'll take a couple colors and mix them together, whether it's through uh, cross-pollinization or other genetic work. But we're not genetically modifying anything. Everything that's done is a hybridization, which is different than GMO.
4: It's like mixing a horse and a donkey to get a mule.
1: Correct. Yes. It's, so you come up with a hybrid flower and you co- create these either bicolors or unique flower forms and shapes. Uh, and so those new flowers are coming about all the time and they're trying to find new colors. But that's just the start of it. They're also looking for habits, whether it's trying to create something that trails more or mounds bigger, or they're looking for persistence in flowers, something that will hold its blooms longer maybe raise the blooms above the foliage so you see more color when you see it. There are a lot of traits that breeders work on to improve different flower varieties.
4: Well, one thing I've noticed going back to the petunias is that I know growing up that if you didn't deadhead your petunias, that by usually late July, they quit blooming for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you got them going again, it was almost time for frost. And modern petunias just... You can still deadhead them, but they're so much better and so much freer blooming through the hotter weather.
1: Yeah, you don't even... I've never deadheaded a petunia in my life. (laughs) And it's because of the new genetics that have
4: been around for the
1: last 15, 20 years.
4: Yeah. And so, I mean, this holds true for other flowers, but there's also new species being introduced over time. You know, when I first started in the grain industry, the... uh, The uh, petunias were all that was there, but then you've got like the million bells and the different things that have been introduced that you have not a completely different mix than 20 or 30 years ago, but there are so many new species that are adapted and bloom freely as compared to even 20 or 30 years ago.
1: Exactly. Like right when I, when I got into this industry, it was about 29 years ago. I remember sugar daddy petunias was the hottest ticket, right? Right. And we actually stopped growing Sugar Daddy because the the breeder told us it's old genetics and it's long, it's leggy, and late. And for five or ten years, people knew the name, loved the name, but they loved the flower color. Uh, and so they would ask for it by name, but the genetics were terrible. It didn't look good in the garden, even though the, each bloom might have looked good, the plant overall didn't. And so what what people that were asking for it didn't realize is, it had been bred, so the flower color was still there, but the habit of the plant was much better. And that's what we have today, is a lot of varieties that might have a cool color, but they also will perform well for you over the, over the summer.
4: Yes, and, and so they do that. But then there's also, if you want a mounding petunia, you can get a mounding petunia. Mm-hmm. If you want a trailing petunia, you can get a trailing petunia. If you want one of smaller flowers, with larger flowers, newer flower colors coming in that were never available before.
1: Another cool thing is they'll cross Genus, genera as well. They'll cross, t- so we have petunias crossed with calibrachoa, They're called pachoas or different <laughs> brand names, but uh, and sometimes they'll trademark them. And the reason why is for. Petunia blooms don't normally hold up to storms, but Calabrakoa blooms do. And so they'll get the the best traits of both genus, and they'll put them together. And then you have something called Durabloom, for example, that holds up great, holds its flowers high, but still has the petunia look that we all love.
4: Yeah. So there's all sorts of things going on. But, you know, it's fun to watch every year what's coming out because it seems like, with a few exceptions, there's a complete turnover in varieties just because of the new improved genetics. Right. (laughs) you <laughs> And we have
2: all those varieties out here in the gardens today for yeah. you to look at. Wasn't that long ago you went to get a master's degree or something on all of this, didn't you? You went back east? or uh, That was in business. Oh, oh in business. <laughs> to figure out how to all sell right.
1: all, this, all these flowers that we grow. But...
2: Uh, the reason I throw that out there is because uh, there is, and as you described, there's so much more than just uh, how a flower looks. It's how is it going to perform. And uh, it, it's uh, fascinating to me, and I'm sure to our listeners, to think about how far can this go? Is it just going to be an Everest? evolving thing
1: I think it will be as as our uh, it, as flowers evolve over time we 're just seeing more improvement every year and i don 't I think the sky's the limit there 's always more that can be done to improve flowers weather. It's a, a perennial variety that only blooms for a month now. In a couple of years, it may bloom for three months, and we and, might enjoy it a lot. And as our
2: climate changes, I guess all of that uh, has to evolve as There's well. There's a new
1: candy tuft we have here in the garden that I love candy tuft, but it only blooms for three weeks in the early spring. This one's an annual, but it's got purple. Candy Tufts is is normally white, but it's got purple in it mixed with the white, and it's gorgeous. And so they're breeding
2: that. It's not hardy yet, but it's a great annual for now. Well, today you get to actually vote on what you think is going to be the next hot item at the Research Garden for uh, Olson's Greenhouse. Plus, Uh, when you come in, you're actually also going to get a chance at a $500 gift card. For a little shopping right. spree with Olson's and a real peek behind the scenes. Yeah, we'll take people into the greenhouse, and you can spend your heart away. You can find out more at hiddengarden.org. Come see us in Santa Quina at 350 West 200 South. I can smell the tacos cooking. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here, the greenhouse, until 11 this morning. Pam, we'll get to your call in just a second, so hang on. Pam, Brett, and Sharon, your calls are next on this week's KSL Greenhouse.
5: Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
2: Welcome back to the KSL Greenhouse. Tim Hughes in for Maria Chaleos. Uh, Tom Bettis is also here, and we are in Santaquin today for uh, One Stop. In the Hidden Garden Tour, but one stop that I hope everybody will take advantage of, and that is uh, the research garden for Olson's Greenhouse. What a beautiful sight. 300 potted plants with combinations you won't find in any stores. Uh, Kenton was telling me when I got here, Uh, these uh, won't be found on the shelf or on the hanging basket anywhere you go. So take the opportunity to come out today and uh, help Olson's decide which ones are the next ones to go uh, to your favorite spot. Uh, Pam is on the line in West Valley. I know we dropped you, Pam, uh, for some reason, but it's great to have you back. You also had a question for Tom about your peach tree. Oh. Oh, she just wanted to ask the question.
4: Okay, so greater peach tree borer. Peach tree borer is going to hurt the fruit if I use it.
2: Yeah. Uh, So
4: is it going to hurt the fruit? So if you're wanting to know about the sprays, no, because you don't spray the fruit. When you spray for peach tree borer, you're only spraying the lower limbs and the trunk, and especially the trunk around the base. And so I had somebody almost call me out last night on Utah Gardening Experts, and uh, they were like, you ruined my crop because this isn't registered for edibles. And with you read how to apply it, you don't touch the fruit at all. Mm. So, yeah. If Pam, are you there? I am. So what's Hello? going on? Yeah, we're here.
3: Yes. The, call, the call dropped just as it was ready to go. Um, I was just concerned that um, I was out. Senning my peaches last night, and I noticed the gummy at the bottom, and I thought, you know I scraped it off. I didn't really see much of a hole, but I knew that the time at least what I had I thought you' put at the base of the tree like in August, and I didn't know because my fruit's probably the size of a three d quarter if it would affect the fruit crop because it's an early it's a red haven and it's an early
4: peach yeah i we're actually i think we're talking about two different beasties here you've got peach twig borer which has a different spray schedule than the trunk borer which is greater peach tree borer so the twig borer they're probably getting ready for their second generation and you know you could have other things going on in the peaches and what city do you live in West Valley. West Valley. So, Salt Lake County has an extension office that you can email pictures to. But what I would do is get some of those peaches that have the gumming at the base and cut them open and oh, see if oh you no, can find a worm it, going in. No, Go ahead. it's not on the peaches, it's just oh, the trunk. Okay, I thought you were saying it's on the peaches. So, well, is it sorry. higher up in the trunk? No, it's just right at the very base. Okay, so that would be greater peach tree borer, and it's about time to start spraying. Okay, can I just
3: pull it around the bottom, or does it have to, you have to spray this?
4: If you're going to use 38 Plus, which has kind of the fuzzy label on if it is registered or not, but it's very effective, then every three weeks you would spray the trunk around the base and just the lower limbs and don't get it on the fruit. If you use like Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew, that is registered for everything, but you have to spray it weekly. Okay,
3: if if you're not much of a sprayer, can you just dilute it and pull it at the bottom?
4: No, no, but it's got to be put, what you're trying to do is prevent them from getting into the trunk, and it's preventative, and so it's not systemic, it won't work its way into the tree, and it will be broken down by our alkaline soil and sunlight, so you have to re-spray every three weeks so that that absorbs into the bark,
3: Okay, so if I've got a bore already inside. Um,
4: if you can't easily fish it out and you can't see it, then you you can remove that gummy stuff. And sometimes the bore is right there and you can just kill it. But if you can't find it, then you just have to wait for it to come out. And when it comes out to try to lay eggs, that's why you're putting the preventative down. Okay, so the boars are white, right? Yes, they look like hmm. something you could pull out and fish with. Okay, I guess i right.
3: have to look at it. I had one other question, if I may. Um, I overpruned my apricot. I have a tree that has four different fruits on it, and my apricots were shading the part of the garden. I wanted to get more sun, and I think I overpruned it, and I have big gummy things uh, along the branches and like it was um, just burst out. Yeah.
4: Um, look up Cytospora. Okay. And C-Y-T-O, so Cyto, S-P-O-R-A, Cytospora. And just do USU and Cytospora and see if that matches. We've been seeing an okay. awful lot of it this way this year. And I've talked to other extension agents And up in Salt Lake Davis, Weber Counties, the stone fruits have really taken it on the nose, and they're seeing a lot of damage in them. Is that because of the pruning earlier? It's because of the cold weather, and pruning can contribute to it, but it's because of the extremely cold weather.
3: Okay, okay. Will it kill just that part of my grafted tree? Or will you may it need, the whole
2: Look
4: it up because you may need to prune it out.
2: Pam, we've got to move okay. on, but thanks for the call. We yeah. have had – yeah, thank you for listening. We have had questions about uh, Cytospora, and uh, the wet weather will also be a factor in it that. It really will. Yeah. All right, uh, Brett, let's see if we can squeeze you in before we have to break for news on the half hour. A Zelkova tree question.
3: Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, so I've got a uh, newly planted city sprite zelkova that has got some dry, crunchy leaves now. Um, I'll try to give you as much detail as I can about how it was planted. I planted it on May 13th, so it's been in there a few weeks. Um, the first few weeks it did great, um, watering it about uh, three gallons every two to three days. Um, I didn't water it as much. We're in Orem. We had the uh, all that rain a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, I didn't water as much during that time. And it was about a week ago I saw these dry, crunchy leaves appearing. And the tree's lost maybe 10 to 15% of its leaves. And there's maybe so another 15% up there up that are against still drying. A
4: break. So let me have you stop. I apologize. But what I'll have you do oh, is check fine. the water and dig down along the side of the tree. And if you're in Orem, a lot of Orem has really clay soil, and it may be getting uh-huh. too much. But dig down on the adjacent to the root ball, just right on the side to the bottom, and see how wet the soil is. And if it's wet, don't irrigate it until it starts to dry out. And you want it moderately dry before you water again. But with this cooler wet, okay. I've been seeing a lot of. What would normally be great irrigation practices be a little too much. So check that water situation, and if that doesn't work out, email pictures because you're in Utah County to Garden Help at usu.edu. It's just one word, help. at usu.edu. And Meredith, Mike, or me will take a look at those pictures and see if we can get you further help if it doesn't turn out to be more overwatering.
2: And, Brett, we apologize, but we are up against the clock here. We'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, Sharon's on the line, Michael's on the line. We'll tell you more about the Hidden Garden Tour today. Find out about it for yourself. It's going on from Springville to Santa Quint, and we'll kick off this morning in about a half an hour. Go till 6 o'clock tonight. We are in Santa at the research garden for Olson's Greenhouse. More on that with Brian Lloyd coming up.
0: Let's dig around town with KSL
6: Greenhouse. Learn 10 common lawn problems with Weber Basin water on Saturday, June 10th at 9 a.m. Learn how to tell if the issues are related to pests, fungus, or drought stress. Sign up at WeberBasin.com. Join USU Botanical Center in Kaysville for a walk and talk, Birds in the Garden, on Wednesday, June 14th at 6 p.m. Learn the important role of birds in the ecosystem and how to support and attract them in your landscape. Learn more at extension.usu.edu. Take a walk through the Conservation Garden Park and learn how to see landscapes differently on Friday, June 23rd from 6 to 7.30 p.m. You will see exhibits on local scapes, vegetable gardens, and learn ways to incorporate the concepts into your own landscape. Register at conservationgardenpark.org. Now a look at this week's quick tip.
4: A major summer pest of green beans, raspberries, and many other crop plants are several species of spider mites. Spider mites are related to spiders and harm plants by piercing and sucking fluids and nutrients from the plant's leaves. Infested plants develop a dusty, mottled appearance. You can also oftentimes find webbing in the plants. It is best to scout for spider mites several times a week throughout the summer. They are best controlled when infestations are first found using horticultural soaps or horticultural oils.
6: You can also find the Dig Around Town calendar and more fun gardening info at kslnewsradio.com/slash-greenhouse.
0: A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon, but violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence.